Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo uh, of the Podcasting Guild. Uh, I am joined by Kurt. <laughs> Don't you wait, wait, wait? No, 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 hold on, hold on. We need we need uh, appropriate uh, loom type names, like like. Um, gosh, what would it oh, be oh, called? I, I, like, oh, Mike, hold on, hold on, uh, Mike, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Stand Filter. There you go. There you go. There you go. Mike Pop Filter. <laughs> Mike, yes, yes, Mike, Mike Pop Filter. That's a great. Uh, that's that's very good. Yeah, of the, of the great guild of podcasters. Uh, I like that. Uh, and we're joined by uh, none other than uh, a journeyman podcaster. Uh, what what would your um, guild name be, Kurt? Uh, I suppose maybe something like uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> audacity uh oh yeah there you go there you go yeah um audacity uh, would have to be the last name i would think well that's yeah, true it would have to be something like uh echo well audacity or something like that <laughs> <laughs> and and we're joined by none other than uh the 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 man himself the the raconteur of games himself trevor strunk Returning I love the rack and tour of games. That's exciting. I got a I got a cool name. I'm like one of I'm like one of the old elders before everyone gets turned That's into right. swans. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 just sort of an itinerant uh, podcaster. You, you go about. <laughs> I do. I I lackadaisically, yeah, itinerantly <laughs> podcast at least three or four times per week for for whoever whoever will have me. In, in, yeah, instead of a dead uh, a distaff, uh, you you just have like a, a a mic with the the big long arm on it. You know, I, I am actually using a mic with a long arm on it right there you now. Go. It's great. There it's like go. it's I'm I'm I don't know if you have one of these or if you use one of these, but like I whenever I would record before for probably the last like eight years, I would lean in to my desk to to record, and it sucked because <laughs> like it would it would be uncomfortable. Yeah, um, your your posture w- would definitely uh, start looking like one of those uh, arms itself, right? Yeah, exactly. And now I'm just like I'm sitting back. I I don't even have to move. I'm I'm always even from the mic. I'm I'm loving life. There you go. You're just <laughs> sitting, moisturized, thriving, podcasting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. Absolutely. This is this is what this is what uh, you know peak masculinity looks like. Uh, <laughs> there you, you go. You may not you like it. But. You don't. You don't have to move a fucking muscle. That's right. That's what. That's what a that's what a real man does. I'm gonna slowly um, become a uh, sentient uh, chair. <laughs> Look, uh, Trev, as long as you're not a sentient sofa, uh, which we, <laughs> we we had a story, uh, a very problematic one <laughs> uh, about that. But anyway, uh, folks, uh, no, no, this is a, a recent award winner uh, last year, but. Um, 
we can fill you in later. Oh, please do. Uh, <laughs> but but I did want to let everyone know uh, out there that uh, all this talk about great guilds and the guild of podcasting and all that stuff is is mainly just us riffing because we're going to be talking about the 1990 Lucas Arts film. Film, film, <laughs> game, <laughs> well, game. Yeah, films, games. Yeah, it's uh, tough because they do loom. they do put the games and the films together, kind of. It's they true. do. It's true. They do. At least the indie one, the the, I, the the Indiana Jones ones, I should say. I think mm. that when Loom came out, it was still called like Lucasfilm Games or something. Mm-hmm. Yes. I believe, and I think they changed yep. their name to Lucas Arts shortly thereafter. That's yeah, smart to, to avoid to avoid any confusion. It is kind of confusing. Yes, <laughs> is is okay. George Lucas going to be in this? <laughs> uh, in spirit, kind of. Kind, you know, I actually have a couple. I I have I have a couple tidbits, some of which Carlo has as well, because I watched a positively delightful post mortem. Uh, from Brian Moriarty um, on on Loom, where he talked a little oh. bit about Mo- about kind Moriarty. of the journey of the game. <laughs> Moriarty, wait, and the game is afoot. Yeah. Don't we have don't we have like a, a Sherlock developer that we can have them fight at the Reichstag? <laughs> is that something we can do? <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let me let me hold on. Let me, uh, Kurt. I'm going to cast a draft here. E C E D. Oh, I there you opened. Wow, that was good. Wow. That was good, Carlo. That but was don't very do, wise. Don't do D, uh, E, C, D, or it will close up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no one wants that. Or don't no. do rend or twist. Rend. Thank you. So, uh, so anyway um, – Kurt, you you had actually uh, lobbied for this one, and I, this is honestly a game. This is possibly one of the first games that I got with my own money. Ooh. Oh, really? Yeah, like like so. So let me give you a little background. Um, when I was being processed out uh, in none other than uh, beautiful Philadelphia shipyards, hey, <laughs> let's go. Uh, I got uh, sort of like a lump sum paid out. Uh, it was like probably. I want to say like $3,500 all in one go, uh, like in my last check or whatever. Um, nice. And so having not had a job ever before and not had any purchasing power ever before. <laughs> you I bought did Loom. Look- no, no, no. It, it's even better. I bought Loom and the computer to play it on, the Amiga. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. So you were, you were sitting pretty with this Amiga. What? <laughs> yeah, honestly, like That's pretty uh, serious stuff. Yeah, like like the Amiga was a great little computer for basically uh, like if you wanted to graduate from the Commodore sixty four, that was the one that you got, right? <laughs> and and who among us doesn't want to graduate from the Commodore sixty four? Now mm-hmm. was this was this when you could also get the uh, the MSX uh, as well? Was that also a choice? Um, the one that like. Uh, uh, Oh God! I think it was like the Sega Sony computer or something along those times. Those- oh yeah, I remember. I remember hmm. vaguely that. Yes. The only reason I really know it is because that's what um, Metal Gear Solid Two was released on the, the, oh, the Solid Snake. Um, it's a wonderful, actually, a wonderful game, wonderful addition to that whole series. But uh, wait, do you mean Metal Gear Solid Two or Metal Gear Two? I mean Metal Gear Two. 
Oh, okay, okay. Just double checking because I, I might have said it solid wrong, in there. Yeah, yeah it, it's, and I was it's like, called, wow. it's called Metal Gear Two Solid Snake. <laughs> I was like, wow, uh, Metal Gear Solid Two had a much longer development cycle oh, than I realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to make the Metal Gear Solid to explain what was going on. It was way too ahead of its time, and then then the remaster. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, no, no, this is Metal Gear Two Solid Snake. It's a it's. It's a weird game, but it if you if you are a Metal Gear fan, we're sort of I I don't know anyone listening to this is a huge head or whatever, but like it's it explains a lot in that first game, and it it really does show off that that system. I mean, it's it is that era of time where you if you got like a tiny little microcomputer, like an Amiga or 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 a uh, uh, a PC. Oh yeah, it was a PC eighty eight or or MSX or whatever. Um, you could you could kind of do some pretty interesting stuff that consoles couldn't. Trevor, do you remember the Atom? Vaguely. A-D-A-M? Vaguely. That was like the ColecoVision uh, entry into microcomputers, and mm. it had like the the tape decks. <laughs> it was just like I, I'm Rules. just like thinking about it, and I was like, "Wow, everyone's like everyone's going towards uh, moving towards like the the three point five floppies." Uh, and, and they're like, nah, we're going to go back old school. We're doing tapes. <laughs> did, you, did you think, did you think it was over? Did you think tapes were over? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I, 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 I had a lot of cassette tapes. Uh, they were just music cassette tapes. <laughs> so let me Which, put it this way. Carlo, you could have purchased an MSX two plus in hmm. 1988. I do not know if you would have been able to play loom on it however um it's unclear and if that's un- what you're really looking unclear. for but speaking of tapes mm-hmm. um yep. go, carlo go did your did your copy of loom i assume it must have come with the official loom audio drama you, you know, on a cassette you know what, tape? Kurt? It, it is it is it is wild to me because i i think i was watching the same like you you'd link that that uh brian moriarty um uh, uh, conference or, or whatever he's he's doing there uh, at uh, in Ar- he, he's <laughs> he, he's in Argentina, which is great. Uh, <laughs> I, I could I could understand both languages being spoken there. Um, Fantastic, great. Uh, and and when he mentioned the tape, I was like, whoa, because <laughs> I I it, it had to have been in there, but I have absolutely no memory of of it. Oh, wow. Uh, but but also like let, let me let me set the stage a little bit because part of it is that uh, I, I recognize Moriarty's name in part because I was a big Infocom head, right? Ah, uh, yes. And he he actually um, towards the the I would say the 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 declining years of Infocom uh, wrote a couple of games that uh, I think I played part of one, which is, I believe, Wishbringer, yes. which seemed very, um, very straightforward. Uh, it didn't have uh, lots of, uh, I, I suppose, I, I don't know what the terminology is for it, but Trevor, I'm sure you'll, you, you know what it is. The, <laughs> the, the thing where you need to have like a meta knowledge of what the, what the game's next steps are. Oh, so like, uh, yeah, I I think I know. What I you believe mean. like, you, like, you could like there's of, you could kind of just like take it step by step. So you didn't have to plan for it or anything. It didn't have like a meta. Yeah, game. yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, one of the 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 most egregious ones um, that that had that was I believe is it Amnesia, 
mm-hmm. where where you needed to actually die <laughs> to someone like you, you I think that this the sequence is that you see a shadow it, through the, the the frosted glass of your private eye office or whatever and if you just open the door you, you basically the guy inside kills you I remember playing amnesia now and being really angry about that. <laughs> I it's it's the King's Quest, is it two or three that has like if you fuck up one thing, which is like in the first yeah, or second that's King's screen. Quest three and Roberta Williams loves that. It's two things. One is I believe you have to take the pie off the windowsill. Because if you don't take the pie, I think I, I forget if you starve to death or 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 something. <laughs> the other thing, the other, but it's like it's like hours later in the game. The other thing is there is a mouse, um, very early in the game that I think if you don't save the mouse from the cat, uh, then there is a part much later where you are locked in a dungeon. And now normally, uh, if you saved the mouse at the beginning of the game, that five hours later the mouse will come out of a mouse hole. And like bring you the key or something or do something to help you escape. And if you didn't, then you're just locked there forever. And I don't even think there's like a death screen. I think you just stay locked up and it's just not <laughs> just it's not even an indication the that game. you're dead ended. Yeah. So it's- rough. <laughs> and then you're like, fuck me. Five hours later? <laughs> yeah. Is there I, a way I mean- to escape without using the wizard's key? <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently not. No. Um, but I, I'm glad I I'm glad that we got onto this because I mean b- both both because you know Brian Moriarty who made Loom came from Infocom I think he also worked on one of the Zork games he did he was I... involved with Zork one I think oh was he oh. okay yeah and I know I know Carlo you're a big Zork head oh for sure like I I even I even know that uh, the original version of Zork was basically. <laughs> slowly shifted around uh, on MIT uh, mainframes <laughs> so it, it wouldn't be like they kept on trying to de- I believe they kept on trying to delete it off the mainframe and they would just <laughs> shift it somewhere else and people would like they, they would only find virus. out yeah well I mean they, they'd only find out the, the, the staff would only find out because it would uh, slow things down because people were on there playing the fucking game that's what happened I with also, Doom too Doom, Doom slowed down MIT's uh, uh, <laughs> it's true so many people were playing Doom they had to like they had to ban it because it was like ruining the internet at MIT <laughs> like we can't get our studying done there's another game that that also did this, which is uh, Adventure, which in a lot mm. of ways is is you know the precursor or a precursor of uh, of Zork, and uh, it was it, it was originally I believe that the the script to start the game was ADV originally, um, and system administrators kept trying you know finding it and deleting it, so they started renaming it different combinations. So it was you know <laughs> DAV. A you know A V D um, so, and that's sounds, why there's sounds a, like drafts from from Loom. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, there, uh, eventually um, it was settled on as VAD V A D, and that's why there is or was really a slang term uh, VADing, which is like going down into like steam tunnels because it was oh, like oh, mimicking adve- you know, the game adventure, but it was well, and, confused. <laughs> and there's there's 
there's a little, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, apart from the pastiche aspects of it, uh, there is a little nod directly in Zork, which is uh, when when you get to the maze in Zork, <laughs> because it's the, the same phrasing that they use in, in Colossal mm. Cave or Adventure, right? Oh, which is, okay. You're in a maze, uh, what is it, uh, of twisty little passages all alike or something like yes, that. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Yep. No, you're totally right. I've never gotten to the maze part of Zork. Zork is like one of those it games is- that I can't. I, I can't master. It's just, it's never going to happen. It's so the, hard. Trevor, don't feel bad. I, I absolutely, for only the maze, I had to break out like the fucking, uh, we had a friend who had the little uh, Invisiclues booklet. Oh, thank God. And that one, honestly, I, I no. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because then you have to actually confront the thief. Uh, you have to basically kill him uh, to, to get the la- – essentially at that point, it's usually the last or the next to the last treasure, uh, which is uh, – generally speaking, it's the jeweled egg. And then he he's, he's the only one who can open the jeweled egg without breaking it. <laughs> so-, so then there's like a little jeweled bird inside or whatever. Sure. Why not, right? Why not? So this has been useful because we've established what what computer games were uh, <laughs> around the same time, which is confusing and long and uh, often, very often hard to very learn. very annoying. Very annoying and hard to learn. Um, and around this time, uh, you know, there, there were these text-based adventure games like Zork and um, some some of the fine folks over at LucasArts – so, uh, had the idea that uh, what if we make some games like this that are a uh, graphical and not just text? Although I don't, I don't think that Maniac Mansion was the first graphical adventure game. No, I, I, I there mean, were precursors, right? You could, you could. I mean, you could certainly argue. I think probably the one you'd argue is the first one would be um, Mystery House. Hmm. Um, also, Roberta Williams, as as it happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she she is Legion, uh, but yeah, I, uh, it's it's um, it's probably not Maniac Mansion, no. Um, but I mean, that's definitely one of the ones that is most sort of exciting as far as like true mm-hmm. graphical change. Because I mean, you're looking at it's the difference between like because like <sighs> Mystery House is in many ways just a Zork with uh, you know, very very um, uh, what would you call that? Not ASCII, but like um. You know, essentially like a a frame, uh, you know, like lines drawn on the screen to make oh, like, like yeah. v- vector vector. Graphics. Yeah, it's essentially vector art. Right. Exactly. That's that's what I was looking you, for. You, you, you said asking. I remembered. Holy shit. Temple of Apshai. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's exactly right. Um, but like, yeah, it's like it's it's not particularly like good. Um, I, I would say like, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's super interesting, but like the graphical part is definitely not the most interesting part. Right. Oh, but, but Trevor is Maniac Mansion the first to use the verb system? Ooh, that's a good question. Because I remember King's Quest having, still having a text interpreter, which was a motherfucker. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what a text interpreter was, you literally had to type (laughs) out what you had to do. So like open door, but there would also be stuff where it was like, you know, 
uh, trick leprechaun, for instance, but it would say, well, that doesn't work. Or the leprechaun would just fucking kill you because you have to type like fool leprechaun. It's not trick. Trick is not the right mm-hmm. word. It must be fool yeah, the, the, leprechaun. The, the, the parser didn't have trick in it. It yes. only had fool. If, you, uh, if, you're, if you're like slightly younger – um, but not too young. You might remember Homestar Runner, uh, where um, uh, just strong bad struggles with this in a in a game where he says it says to get you flask, and you say get you flask. You can't get you flask. Like it's just like <laughs> it, it's you know it's 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 purely this kind of like okay, um, do exactly what the parser tells you to do. Um, please do not ask us any questions about, uh, you know, getting the, getting the language right. And yeah, I think maniac mansion, if not the first one, it was like the first one that was, and I'm sure you'll, you'll get people telling you what it was, but like, if not the first one, it was the first one to really do that uh, successfully to sort of change it from the, from the text interpreter to like a, okay, you can grab this, you can do this. Right. Well, they, they, they uh, invented like that whole, what is it? Scum with two M's. Scum Uh, them. Yes, mm-hmm. and 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 so many other very inventive and equally disgusting sounding uh, <laughs> acronyms like mucus and <laughs> and so on and so forth. Well, they also uh, had they also had a like a part of their design plan, and Loom was a big part of this as well. Was like it was you know there were two things in LucasArts games. I was I was doing a little reading on Loom before we we started, um, and this was what came up. Like apparently there were two sort of directives in LucasArts games um, from Loom on. Um, <laughs> one was you can't die. You can't have the character die at any point, right? Like mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. there's not a – it's not Roberta Williams. It's not King's Quest. It's not like, yeah. oh, sorry, you, you died. So <laughs> be Fuck sure you. not to yeah. touch this, uh, this, this, this one thing again that you couldn't have known about. Um, and it's also not – like the other thing was you can't um, – you can't have, um, you know, guessing verbs. Like the, you have to be using the things and the player kind of has to be on the same page again, like, you know, going back to what Carla was saying about the, the kind of meta knowledge, right? Like these games don't have a lot of meta knowledge that you need to know ahead of time, Mm -hmm. even though like, if you don't listen to the audio drama, you're still going to know how to play Loom because it Mm -hmm. just kind of presents to you the, the ideas, right? Right up front. Oh, if anything, that, that, it might be easier to play Loom if you don't listen to the audio. <laughs> I have to say because it well, presents, and, and this, this is a funny thing about Loom, which I, I promise we will eventually start talking about about no, the specifics. No. But one of the funny things about it is is that it is filled with so much stuff that doesn't actually signify anything. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's so much well, stuff that you can do. Where like I think if you came into this with like a modern gameplay mindset, you'd be like. This must be important. Like nobody would possibly, uh, (laughs) nobody would would possibly like render an entire room that doesn't serve any purpose and that there's nothing in it. There must be something significant in this room, and it's like no, there's not actually. (laughs) Kurt, to 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 that, um, let's let's discuss because this is something that uh, that was ported over from Infocom. Uh, whenever you bought an Infocom game, not only did it have an interesting looking box uh, that seemed sort of thematically uh, related to whatever the game was about, you know, like uh, I believe was it Starcrossed uh, had like a weird plastic white plastic thing that had like a, a face embossed on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically because you're in cryo sleep and you, that's where you wake up. And that's so, so cool. Uh, but, but when you opened up, this the 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 packaging along with the discs 
Um, and yes, this was, uh, I mean, I don't think the Infocom ones, uh, they, they all pretty much fit on one disc because it's all text. Uh, but, but one of the things that came along with the disc or discs, uh, if I'm misremembering was gimmies, just little hmm. artifacts mm-hmm. that, um, sort of either clued you in or got you into the like the mindset the the artifacts that you you could like hold in your hands and some of those included like little you know like little uh in-game like journals or uh i believe like uh you could get like a weird lanyard or a key card in (laughs) in star cross (laughs) a lanyard yeah, well, back back before they they were really really nerdy. Yeah, they they were still pretty cool back then. Um, I, I <laughs> and, do like I I do kind of appreciate how this is this is a precursor in some ways to like the cloth maps and stuff you would get mm-hmm. in early RPGs. Yeah, oh, like, the Ult- Ultima baby. <laughs> yeah, or like Dragon Warrior had them, or Dra- Dragon. I mean Dragon Quest, but as as we in the states know it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was cool. I thought that was pretty so. Neat. So the reason I'm talking about Infocom stuff is that in Loom, you get a booklet of the, like, with, uh, with, like, even, like, woodcut art. It looks great. It looks fantastic, like, medieval woodcut type stuff. Uh, and it shows you, uh, because this is a musical, um, sort of, like, based game, which is uh, a departure from the scum engine, which had, like, the scum bar, which had, like, all the little verbs uh, at the bottom. And you could click on a verb and then click on an object, and it would, you know, either interact with it or, or not if it's not part of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, uh, it's basically just uh, you, you have music, right? And that's what you, you – that's how you cast your spells. But the, the spell book – quote unquote that you get is just basically like these woodcuts and it's like what, what was it incinerate or whatever <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it shows oh this is the spell that was discovered mm-hmm. in such and such a year blah 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 has a cool little woodcut of somebody bursting in the flames or something and uh and then like a, a blank uh like uh staff uh like staff uh musical staff down below where you could fill it in right uh but it's a lot of them are trolls. <laughs> oh, yes. nice. Excellent. So, Very yeah, good so stuff. So what's cool about the manual, Carlo, which, yeah, th- yeah, it's beautiful, is that it is all, uh, it is all in-universe. It, mm-hmm. it is not the manual for the game explicitly. Ooh. It is the Book of Patterns. Oh, um, And okay. inside the Book of Patterns, it even has like a little in-character explanation and it kind of, like it it gives you the first spell and says like this is the first spell that is taught to young initiates and as as Carlos said like it kind of gives a little background on each spell. Yes, a lot of the spells aren't in the game, but half of them are. Some even some of the ones that are in there are optional. Um, like <laughs> like you, there's because a lot of the puzzles can be solved with like you know multiple spells. Um, but yeah, it's just a neat. And it's it it all the the the, the paper was like pre yellowed. It had it mm-hmm. looked it looked old. That's it cool. was so cool. It reminded me this this game. It was a um, it was like a tangible thing. It was it was like a sensory experience. Like you got the box, but the box itself had like illuminated lettering on it. And if I might read off of the back, but but which the, just look up the box art. It looks so cool. Um, the way that they did it, and it's got like we like the, the text kind of even looks like it's like an old illuminated manuscript, and it says, 
Uh, long after the passing of the second shadow, when dragons ruled the twilight sky and the stars were bright and numerous, came the age of the great guilds. Uh, and that and, and it goes on to tell you a little bit about the guilds and introduces you as young Bobbin Threadbear of the Weaver Guild. Um, but I remember getting this box, I think, from my grandfather, who was a big gamer at the time, and he loved the LucasArts adventure games, and he would hand them off to me after he had beaten them. Um, and I remember he gave me Loom, and I was bring, and I, I, I didn't at the time have a computer that was good enough to play Loom. I, um, but uh, my father had one at work, and I went to, I went to work with him, uh, and played Loom. On so one of cool. the PCs in their shop. And the whole way I was sitting there looking at this mysterious yellowed booklet that looks like an ancient text. And then I put in the cassette tape that came in the box and it played a very confusing, tw- but a- 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 amazingly cool sounding like 25 minute um, audio drama about the backstory of of Loom. Um, and it's literally it was like listening to like an old time uh radio show and it mm-hmm. was so cool and so off-putting and just very strange um, that's really neat <laughs> but um but yeah C- C- carlo I-, I i wanted to make one one correction which uh which which i picked up on from the um from the postmortem video, which is uh, Loom, Loom is still made in in Scum, which humorously stands for, I believe, script creation utility used in Maniac Mansion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's and, really cool. <laughs> and, and, and Scum, um, I, I've done a little bit of uh, development in a adventure game studio, which is basically a Scum clone. It is essentially Scum, but it is not quite but the it's it's functions basically identically um mm. and it's a very clever little piece of software and one of the points that brian moriarty makes that is germane to what you said about the verb system carlo is almost nothing was set in stone you could you could rework anything in the game engine and so his first thing as you said was to say well i want to make a game where you and the character are in some way doing the same thing. And so Mm. Brian Moriarty's original idea was to have you draw patterns with a mouse. Mm. But when Loom came out, LucasArts' biggest um, market was DOS. And most DOS users did not have a mouse. I also did not have a mouse at the the time. And so he realized that you would not be able to easily draw patterns with just a keyboard. Uh, but what you could do was was play notes, um, and so and so Loom is an adventure game that has an entirely musically based UI, as you were saying, Carlo, which I think is especially clever because um, touching on I, I think it was uh, what was it Wishmaker or Wishbringer, mm-hmm. Wishbringer I believe Wishbringer is kind of a game that was sort of kind of intended for kids, or at least was intended to be accessible to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and Loom is the same way. And I think there's a lot of DNA in this game that's almost educational. Because if yeah. you play Loom on one of the easier difficulties, it presents you, it basically teaches you how to read music, essentially, a little bit. 
Yeah, no, it teaches you it teaches you the basic notes, which like as someone who knows how to read music, that's like a lot of what you need to know. Mm-hmm. I do think it's also interesting. I, I never played it on the expert levels, but if you have the expert levels, you <laughs> yes. don't get notes. Yes. You just have to do it by ear. Yes, it doesn't. It mm-hmm. doesn't even. Gl- yeah. So, so there's three <laughs> levels. There's, there's practice, standard, uh, expert, and then nightmare. No, no, I'm kidding about nightmare, but that that would be really fun. May um, as well be called nightmare. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so practice um, literally has like, uh, like, like the musical staff um on on the on the screen with like the notes and you can just kind of just click and your staff your magic uh wizards weaver's staff your distaff glows when you hear a spell in in the world um on standard i think your i think your staff glows in time with it but it doesn't have the musical notes and then expert as you said trevor you just have to listen to to the sounds that's and just so try crazy. to figure them out. <laughs> what a nightmare. It's like it's it's cool though. It's like I think one of the things I like about this game, you know, even in in comparison to other LucasArts games, which I, I think are, are quite compelling and 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 fun. Um one thing I really love about this game is how much it buys into its own concept. Um like everything about Loom is so particular to Loom. Um you know, including like, oh, the the notes to do something forward and backward are different, or you know, yes. like, like you can you can see the DNA of Monkey Island in Indiana Jones and the the Fall of Atlantis or whatever, or um, even like Full Throttle or, or some of the later like extremely graphical games. But like, yeah, and that's not a bad thing. Like Lucas Arts did a had a really really good model, and it, it was like it is still super fun. But Loom just stands out as this weird version of like you know it doesn't really take those cues. It does its own thing mm-hmm. like dramatically. Yeah, and and it 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 also does a good job of like like it never it never really sits you down and is like welcome to Loom. In Loom, you have eight notes, and they do it's just it just kind of as you said it yeah. buys into its own logic and it does a really good job of both being a a somewhat confusing art game while also still being like very easy to play and it you never feel like you are being um help help text <laughs> as it were there no you're right you you, you never feel like i am reading a tooltip <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it it feels as if it feels as if you're being taught. Like like as you yeah. said, like again, like it feels like you're being taught uh music. Like you're you're sort of learning, okay, like how how does music work? Like what is what is the basic steps to to understanding music? Um and and you're like you as a learner are sort of being given, you know, early lessons, but they are lessons. You're expected to sort of like be able to follow up on them and like perform the labor that uh, the game is asking you to do without handholding. Mm-hmm. The, well, the, the other thing that I think is really impressive is that um, if you, if you fuck up or like forget, like, like let's say that you forget to write down um, a spell, you, you can't get stuck. Like, yeah. like the, the, the answer to a puzzle is always near to the puzzle. So like it's, it's possible to miss a spell um, the the first time it occurs, but when you get to where you actually need that puzzle, if you look around a bit, that spell will always also be learnable nearby, um, which I, I think is so clever because it's invisible to you, the player. It 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 
it, it like if you missed it, you'll never I mean, unless it's, you know, unless you're replaying it, you, you'll you never know that you missed it. Like it'll just go, oh, here's, you know, here's the spell um, like you. You never have that creeping moment of dread that I feel like is so common in modern games. Where you're like, oh, I fucked up somehow. Like yeah. not not an in-game fuck up like me, the player <laughs> fucked up. And yeah, I've, oh shit! I've well, I guess I'll have to with the game. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to reload now. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's like that's even something that was more um, prevalent in that in like those games as we were talking about with like King's Quest Two or King's Quest Four or whatever, whichever King's Quest you're playing and pulling your hair out about at that point. Like, did you do the wrong thing? You might just have to restart from the beginning. That was like a known quantity, and to to have a game where it's like. No, you don't have to start from the beginning. You didn't forget the spell. And there's actually an in-universe explanation. Like you go to the loom and the loom knows your spell because the loom always knows your spell. That's how it works. It's neat. You can say it's a cool idea. Well, it it also, um, I think it really, uh, one of the things that um, it really does uh, well is to encourage a player to really sort of fiddle with stuff because some of the spells are observable. Right. Mm. Uh, like you knock over, like early in the game, you knock over a bottle full of dye, right? And it starts plinking, the drops start plinking out onto the floor and they start making a, a musical notes, right? And it cues you in that, oh, this is a spell. Even though at that point you have not yet received the distaff to really do anything with that information. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, once, once you go back it's like oh it's the empty spell or whatever right mm-hmm. because it's emptying out um and and so on uh so so it, it's it's something that it it also uh, encourages the player to sort of play right it's an invitation to play I, I mean it seems silly to to say that it's a game right but but within the game it invites you to play and as you as we we were talking about like you, you can't really die Right. Uh, so, yeah. so there's no consequences. You could do the goofiest shit possible. Uh, may, maybe I don't know. Maybe you, you uh, literally can't die in Loom. Technically, you can die in Monkey Island in Full Throttle. Um, <laughs> you are technically correct. The best kind in, of correct in Monkey Island. The only way that, that you can <laughs> die, thought, tre- Trevor. I thought you were going to say you were technically dead. The best kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funnier. That would have been funnier. Do, no, you're right. Do you guys know the 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 technical way that you can die in Monkey Island? One, I don't I'm, actually. No, I don't. Okay, it's really annoying. So, um, in so in Monkey Island, they make a point of saying, um. That uh, Guybrush Threepwood um, can hold his breath for, I think he says eight minutes. I forget if it's eight or ten minutes. Um, so th- there's a part where the villain ties you to an anchor and throws you off a pier. And um, it's very humorous because you're, you're you know, beneath the pier, st- stuck to the bottom. Uh, and there's all these swords and weapons all over the, like, all over the seafloor. But they're all just out of reach. And the the solution to the puzzle is just to pick up the anchor and put it in your inventory. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> but but what a great bit. True to Guybrush's promise, he can hold his breath for a really long time. And so you don't drown even though you're down there. But if you stay there for 10 minutes, you do actually eventually drown. <laughs> oh, that's funny because it's more than eight. <laughs> yes. I it's I, I think it is actually the exact amount of time that he said. Um, 
and then in a full throttle, it's there's great. like a quick time event type thing towards the end where you can die. But but yeah, there there I I I love that bit about uh, about Monkey Island. There there is also other connections between Loom and Monkey Island. There's there's Cobb appears to to advertise Loom in Monkey Island, and <laughs> yep. I believe that that uh I, I believe the Loom Seagull appears and it, and it is also credited as the Loom Seagull in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that one of the ones that you, you if you open the clam, it starts eating it or yes. whatever? <laughs> yes. And in 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 Monkey Island, you um it there's it the seagull is there eating the eating a clam and I I think you need to like steal the clam from it or something. Or um That's you have great. to like step on a board and steal the clam or something to that effect. Uh but yeah. <laughs> um but but so one of the things um that frustrates me, going back to what you were saying. Uh, Carlo about kind of like inviting you to play um, Carlo or Trevor. I don't remember who said it. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me about modern games is that they will set up scenarios like that, but then lose confidence and go, mm, well, we better not really leave it up to the player to discover. We better at least push them really hard in the direction they need to go to discover. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And in particular, I'm thinking about uh, Dishonored 1 which mm. I enjoy overall, but there's a particular level in that game where you have to go to a party um, and, and like sneak into the party and they're like, okay, you're going to have to infiltrate this party. Um, you'll, you'll need to like look around and find a way in. Maybe you can f- steal an invitation. Maybe you can find a way like in through the back, which is, this is all well and good. But as soon as you start the level, there's like two people next to you having a loud conversation about like, <laughs> I can't believe I've lost my invitation to the party. And then like the wind very conspicuously blows the invitation, like basically directly to your feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little bit like um, it, it doesn't have the same confidence as uh, another game that that does this and sticks with it, which is a uh, hitman. Yes. Where like in hitman, you're given or at least the, the modern hitman. Uh, games you're given like a sandbox and they're like all right be sure to kill this person but don't let anyone know about it and it's like you you're given every possible option to do so um it, it never you know it, it's never an instance where you're like oh yeah you can't do this um uh, it's always it's always on the table um you could figure out how you're going to do it you could do it badly or you can do it in an interesting way or uh you know a way that gives you away or a way that's super sneaky. I, I feel like that is missing in Dishonored because I mean, in a lot of ways, Dishonored wants to be a narrative game uh, first and foremost. And uh, in order to do that, it, it has, it like, you know, make sure you get by the sandbox stuff in such a way that it doesn't interrupt mm-hmm. the, uh, the narrative. And and I think that that's where Loom succeeds by having a very sparse narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because like, it really doesn't need to get ca- like, basically, like so the plot of loom is that you are the last of the weaver guild um you are bob and threadbare uh your 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 mother gave birth to you against permission uh essentially I we've all been this, there by the way. we've all been there um actually uh well i mean i don't remember if this is mentioned early on or if it becomes it's a reveal later on but it becomes it becomes clear that she wasn't like his birth mother <laughs> it was essentially a virgin birth kind of mm-hmm. he, he's um, born he was born out of the loom yes yeah, you put yes. that gray thread in there that's, yes that's so here's a, well so 
since we're talking about it, let me just say right now, did you guys notice that Bobbin's story of where he came from and the consequences and how he was treated is identical to young Anakin mm. in the prequel movies? Yeah. Um, He's born I, directly. I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> born directly from He's the loom. I mean, born the from the loom. Uh, not o- not only that. Uh, he's, you know, he's raised by a single mother who dies or in his case is turned into a swan. And here's where it, here's where it goes nuts. All right. The masters of the guild of weavers refuse to train him mm. because they're afraid that he will be too powerful. Mm, that's it's, true. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, he I also assume... kills a bunch of kids at the end, which he is does, like, he I does think... also kill a bunch of kids at the end. Yes. Yes. The young Fuck them kids. I, well, I mean, technically. <laughs> He does kill one. <laughs> Technically, you you do kill one child. Explain how? Yeah, uh, you you um, by well, in, by in, pretending in, to be Rusty Nailbender, um, <laughs> you get him killed by a dragon. <laughs> by a very flirtatious dragon, it must be said. Uh, I, I did I did love uh, like s- some of the puzzles are just so straightforward. It it. it if you've ever played one of these types of adventure games before, uh, the puzzles here are so straightforward that it, it, you you end up bending back around to thinking, no, no, that that's too simple. That's just too simple. No, it's got to be more complicated than that. No, no. I, 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 one of the things that I love is that once you are able to get to the um, to the Shepherd's Guild uh, area, uh, all you have to do is. Oh yeah, I have that dying spell. Uh die as in to D Y E. Yes, yeah. yes. Not not to kill yourself or whatever. Um and all you have to do like they, they complain, oh the dragon, the dragon keeps on uh, like decimating our sheep and blah blah. And we can't sell wool and so on. And all you have to do is like, oh yeah, well grass green. I hate that color, but guess what? It'll camouflage all the sheep, and then (laughs) immediately you're the only thing that stands out to the dragon, so it takes you away. (laughs) It's so good. I love it. (laughs) It's fantastic. I I, I love the whole, like, journey narrative, because, like, yeah, so, like, what basically happens is, like, your guild is taken away mysteriously by, by a swan. It's not that mysterious, in truth, and you have to, you have to, you have to get off of the island of Loom. Uh, and then you basically travel around and visit a couple other guilds and each and every guild you get to, it turns out that there's this super obviously evil guy there, um, very obviously raising an army. And then it turns out that he, that is in fact what, what he's doing, but the, like, the whole plot yeah. is conveyed turns through out. like six conversations. Basically, there's not a lot of conversations in the game. There's not a lot of text. It's all pretty well written, I, I would say. It's 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 less funny than the other LucasArts games, but it it still I, has a couple lines that are like. Eh. I think I think it's got it, the thing is I think it 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 straddles the line between like what uh like the wryness of a an Infocom game and sort of the zaniness of a LucasArts game. Like yes, it also it, 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 oh, let's 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 remember that Tim Schafer isn't on this design team. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's also true that like you're kind of like genre wise with uh with loom you're looking more like it's it's a little more like a michael Moorcocky sort of story where like yes y- you are mm-hmm. getting you are getting this sort of like deep lore of a world that is made up from like you know whole cloth and, and it really exists just for this one thing that, <laughs> <Whole> cloth. <laughs> i didn't even plan that one um <laughs> but like yeah, no it's it, it's true though that like it is it is this <laughs> 
God. Uh, no, no, continue the thread. Oh, uh, no. Oh, this is horrible. Uh, I, don't, I don't have another pun. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm threadbare of pun. Um, oh, no. We'll, we'll have you buttoned up soon enough, buddy. No. Uh, no. <laughs> but the uh yeah like i i think i think the i think the um you know like you're sort of looking at a world that is like essentially just a, a one and done um there were loom sequels at least pitched i guess um mm-hmm. i learned uh and then um uh <laughs> the the guy who made it basically said i i'm forgetting his name but the oh uh, uh, um uh, moriarty uh brian moriarty basically said like yeah like it wasn't it wasn't like a um it wasn't a conspiracy. It wasn't LucasArts saying we didn't sell enough because we actually sold a ton of copies. It's mm-hmm. just that uh, we all got bored and wanted to do something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so they did, but um, it, it, it kind of works better for that. And that like, it does have that old fantasy paperback feel of like, okay, here's a Very, bespoke yes. world. Um, we don't really have the time to be aloof because like, we have to explain why this is like an important place and like matters and stuff like that. Very, very quickly. Well, I mean, well, it, even that, even that, that intro text is so. De- it's like long after the passing of the second shadow. Okay, you've are, you've already conveyed like a vast span of time. It's the second shadow. It's not even the first shadow. The second sh- sh- you know shadow. Uh, dragons ruled the twilight sky. Okay, that's v- very evocative. The stars were bright and numerous. Okay, so so more so than now. The yes. age of the great guild. So it was an age that implies it began and it ended. And also we're speaking of it from the future. And it's like, you know, like 15 words. And like, that's basically, that's really all that you need to know about the entire setting. And right. it like packs it all in there. Kurt, did you, um, did you see, did you manage to get to the part where he's, he showed like Moriarty showed uh, that one of his uh, and the, the team's, um, guiding uh i guess uh guiding principles or, or or guiding texts was actually to try to make the the backgrounds and the art look like something out of sleeping beauty yes that's yes, i thought that yeah that's yeah cool. so i've been waiting to, to talk about the art in this game because this is an art game both in how it's a little bit evasive and vague and like the gameplay is not really like the focus it's more about you know, I, I I think it's fair to call this like it's not quite a visual novel, but it's not that far off from one, I would say. Well, he, it, I'm, I'm guessing you also saw where he was talking about like he he saw what was it? Inigo gets out. Inigo which is gets out. Yes. Basically like a, a point and click and it just moves. It's basically like a, what we would call a light novel now or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just well, you click on it and it's a hyper card game. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I want to talk about this for a second because I only learned about this uh, yesterday when I was, yeah, like reading up and, and watching up, I guess. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the first interactive visual novel technically, I guess um, was uh, it, it this thing called Inigo Goes Out, which was made on uh, a hypercard stack, which is kind of it's it's hard to explain what it is. It's like uh, it's it's a series. Okay, uh, it's a series of pictures that kind of very vaguely resembles a very stripped down website where you have huh. pictures and like interaction zones, and the interaction zones in the picture lead to another picture. So you could use it for text. You could use it for, 
you know, navigating an encyclopedia. And um, this woman named Amanda Goodenough, um, <laughs> who was not a game developer. What a great was, name. Was not <laughs> a writer. Yes. Was, was uh, somehow not a Bond protagonist. Right. Um. <laughs> um, so so she her her husband, I think, was like the dentist of some I, I someone who was I who was like a like an early like computing uh figure and was like oh check out this thing and he gave a copy to his dentists i believe who gave it to his wife was like hey check out this thing and she like sat down and and made and like basically a game um for kids based on bedtime stories that her mom used to tell her um and it wound up being it's there's not much written on it but it was seems to have been enormously influential in a variety of weird ways and she and just it made out. it herself um huh. and it's super cool little like fragment of you know game yeah, well, history to me and like- Mo- moriarty himself says that yeah like the the biggest game of the 90s basically is exactly it uses exactly like that type of yep. um uh mist uh, that being. yes mist i was like what, what game are we talking and, about yeah yes. okay that, yeah of course <laughs> Just point and click. NHL and the, 95, the, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that you, uses some need, good narrative, baby. You <laughs> need you need the mouse to circle the, the players like mm-hmm. you are, in fact, uh, yeah, the coach. <laughs> casting casting uh, drafts on your hockey stick, tur- <laughs> turning it upside down. Um, but but yeah, so so the art, yeah. Um it the I, I didn't know about the Sleeping Beauty connection, um, and it made perfect sense when he was showing mm-hmm. yeah. the side by sides, especially the fact that the the ultimate villain Chaos is literally just Maleficent, basically. Oh, one hundred percent skeletal, <laughs> skeletal Maleficent. Uh, also, I, I God, I love the fact that um, one of the sequels was supposed to be Forge uh, because yes. he does get to the to the uh, I guess the Iron Workers Guild or whatever, and I love, I just absolutely love the bonker imagery that it's just like a gigantic anvil made yes. into a building <laughs> covered with like flames and fo- and like smokestacks and just yeah. just the the most metal shit possible it's really cool but what what's really impressive to me about a game like this is like so like there's there's not the the way that the art is presented i think fundamentally changes the experience of playing the game right because like in a in a 3D game or even like a platformer really right like like the the art the, you can only interact with the art so much right like like in a 3D game you're you're primarily focused on navigating through a 3D space and so everything around you is is probably mostly probably going to be some kind of like set dressing uh-huh. not necessarily but that's that's kind of the direction that you know, modern games are like you're, you're basically navigating through a series of tubes that have been dressed up to look like, you know, crashed cars or a skyscraper or whatever it is. Well, I mean, it, it, oh, God, go ahead, Carlos. Sorry. I, I was just going to say that it's one of those things where you like, I remember like playing uh, Resident Evil or something. Right. And you immediately can tell because of how it's rendered. Oh, this is this is something I can break or interact with. Right. And that's just a painted background. Well, it reminds me of it reminds me of you remember watching old cartoons where you could tell <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, like if you look at the wall in like a Scooby Doo cartoon, the one that's like supposed to move, it's painted differently than the wall that isn't mm. supposed to move. And you're like, okay. Oh, for sure, for yeah, sure. I, yeah. I know what's gonna happen here to the gang. Um <laughs> it, it's a little like that in, in in current games where you're like, okay, like what what am I what am I looking at here? Oh, right, of course, like 
you yeah. know, the, 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 uh, this thing is going to jump out here or that thing is going to be like a path, like <laughs> pathing is very clear and stuff like that. Yeah. But in Loom, you're basically just navigating through pieces of art, you know, like 16 bit pixel art, mm-hmm. but just these beautiful backgrounds. And because of the way that the game works, you know, it's a mostly stationary camera. It might scroll back and forth over top of, you know, a picture, but you you're the, there is no camera to follow you the player and the the player character just kind of navigates through the background on predefined um paths and you scale up and down so you can go into the background you can go into the foreground you can do kind of like a, a, a lot of the maps do like funny mc escher type things where uh-huh. you know you'll go in a door over here and pop out on the other side of the map and like it it makes logical sense but it makes sense in the way of looking at uh like like a where's waldo or where's wally (laughs) i guess if you're british book and being like oh like waldo can take this escalator and go down here and go through like but like it makes logical sense but it doesn't make spatial sense right and and that that gives it this very dream-like quality it literally feels at some level like you are looking at an illustration in a book and the character starts moving and walking around and and going places and most of it is static um but but it's it's the, the fact that it's stationary allows it to use like artistic tricks to convey depth instead of literally having like three-dimensional depth and it gives it just this very unique um style that i think is perfect for a fantasy game like this and like th- to me the, the the reason that i i wanted to do this game as an episode is because th- this to me captures the feel of reading like you said, Trev, like like a Michael Moorcock story, or I was thinking of like a Zelazny story. Like mm, this feels very yeah. Chronicles of Amber to me. It to me it captures that better than most other types of games could, because it has that same sense of being at a remove and watching the character, but also feeling like an emotional and kind of like artistic connection to it in a way that's kind of hard to quite put your finger on. Yeah, I agree. I think like, you know, I, I always think back, like I haven't read as much fantasy or sci-fi as you two, um, and, but who has, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, the um, I think, I think when I, well, just as a side note, the last time I talked to uh, previous host Connor about the, about uh, pod side, uh, which he always has wonderful things to say about, about the show as, as a, as a fine, a fond uh, friend of the show, still uh but he said you know was an odd thing to make my first podcast uh something where every single time i did it i'd have to read at least one giant book um <laughs> maybe he, he admitted maybe not his finest choice or his smartest choice <laughs> well he should have done an episode on loom because it would have taken him at most a couple hours <laughs> well, they, well yeah see that's uh that's just like that's just absolutely the the uh the 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 change and uh, innovation that we needed in the, in the second set of hosts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I think like, I think the, you know, um, the, the thing that's kind of interesting about, about loom is it reminds me of reading like old anthologies, like top fantasy anthologies mm-hmm. from like 1979 that were sort of like, you know, cleverly put together as like a tour paperback, but we're clearly like up and coming writers uh, getting short stories mm-hmm. in a thing. And some mm-hmm. would be good and some would be bad. And you just find it in an old used bookstore. And like reading those 
every single time you started one, you're like, okay, who are the characters? What is the basic idea? Who am I looking at? Are there, is there like a relationship here? Are there romances? Is this like in the future? Is it in the past? And you're always kind of figuring it out. And it is uncomfortable and a little like a little off-putting to, to have to enter into that world. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't onboard you basically. And Loom is yeah. much the same way. Like it is – for the first bit of it, it, it it's it's very off-putting to play Loom in a way that like other LucasArts games are not off-putting. Um, however, it like it rewards that that um, experience of being mm-hmm. sort of at a remove. It's it's majestic too in a weird, unpredictable way. Like for instance, uh, the the very first important spell that you do is casting open on the sky, <laughs> and a fucking yes. giant lightning bolt comes down and obliterates the tree that you're standing next to and looks like it kills you, but then it zooms back in and, and Bob and like pokes his head out from behind the tree. St- <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Um, well, and and can, can I, can I just interject real quick? Because uh, also the, the voice cast on this is fantastic. And they, they really, um, they really convey like that, that same thing that you're, that same event that you're talking about, Kurt. It's, it's, I forget exactly what Bobbin says. It's something along the lines of, well, I won't be trying that again. Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Or something to that effect. (laughs) And it's just so great because it, it does have like that fusty humor that you'd expect. (laughs) You know, almost everyone's got like an English accent in it or something to that effect. Right. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're I right. No, that's that's a wonderful point. Uh, yeah, like like the also like the just the plain fact that um, when when the the plot finally catches up to Bobbin Threadbare, uh, can I can I also say that uh, I I just love that the bad guy the the first bad guy uh, is just called. Bishop Mandible. Bishop Mandible. <laughs> there are. Oh my God. <laughs> we we need to. Okay, okay. Real quick. Here here are some other characters uh, in the game. Um, so there is uh, Master Goodmold. And that's from. Uh, there's, we we already mentioned Rusty Nailbender. Excellent. Uh, Bishop, Perfect one. Bishop Mandible. Um, what's uh, what's it? What's her name from from the Guild of uh, Shepherds? Like Fleece, something something. Oh, there's so many good names in this. Um, <laughs> what's the, the gosh? I wish I'd written it down. There's there, there's also um, there's like a crystal goblet at one point that's called like like the cruciform, like the mysterious cr- like cruciform All right, here we go. something something. Here we go. I have a list. This is from Giant Bomb. <clears throat> Bishop Mandible, Bob and Threadbare, Chaos. Uh, Cobb is counted. As is a henchman of Bishop Mandible who imprisons yes. Bobbin in the game, and uh, he is found in the scum bar wearing an "Ask Me About Loom" badge. Signa <laughs> uh, Threadbare, Dame Hetchel, Dragon, Elder Atropos, Fleece, Foreman Nailbender, Foreman Nailbender, <laughs> Master Edgewise, who's in the Blacksmiths Guild, Master Goodmold, as you said, and Rusty Nailbender. Amazing. Just great names, yeah, honestly. Perfect, honestly, yeah. Brian Moriarty complains about the names in his presentation. He calls them corny. 
No, they're good. Was, he's wrong. Was, he's, he he's needs wrong. a sense of it's, humor. It's definitely like it's definitely like a like a thirty five year old grudge that he holds against some other writer or something, or like somebody who was like, "Oh, we should make them all funny puns." Well, and this like, is no, this is a serious game. This is the tension in, in making this a, a Lucas Arts game. Like it feels like a Sierra game, and like one of the Sierra games oh, that isn't yes. funny, right? Like, yes. mm-hmm. at least in tone. Like in in gameplay, it feels like a Lucas Arts game, but like in tone, it's like yeah, like. Uh, you know, oh, this is this is a, a high fantasy work. And then like there's like gags like Bob and Threadbare in there. And it, it, it makes it so much better. It's a wonderful little like meshing of the two worlds. But I can see why Brian Moriarty was like, this is yeah. my, this isn't my work. <laughs> how how dare how dare they? Or or like, yeah, like Carla said, like, I'm not well, I'm not doing that again. That there, there's a there's an extent to which like so I've I was working for a while on an adventure game project that that got somewhere, but then it became it, it was one of those things where it was like this is too big for two people to do, and so we stopped, and so we never returned to it. But but, but um, enough about I, Disco Elysium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I did write a bunch of adventure game dialogue, and the dirty secret of LucasArts style adventure game dialogue is that it's almost all the 1992 equivalent of well that happened Mm, mm -hmm. it's not very it's all like sensible chuckle type type humor and it just Mm. kind of writes itself right like it's all it's it's all dad jokes um but there's something about it being in an adventure game that makes you want to forgive it (laughs) that'd be like well it's charming you know yeah just something about it no Um, absolutely i think i think that's a it it is like it part of that is that like you can you can encounter it on your own. And so it feels like on some level you are having that banter as opposed to like the Joss right. Whedon bits are, are never are like not charming even when you notice it because it's like, well, they're yelling the banter at me. Right. Because because typically what happens in, in, in a game like like Loom is that you will you will look at an object and the, the character will say something observant, but a little bit funny. Like not mm-hmm. that not very funny, and you know you can tell that when they were bored or or just to like you know flesh out the game, they would sit there and and add like a million little things in the background of most of these games that serve no purpose except to deliver like a small joke, you know right. where yeah. like there will be three shrunken heads in Monkey Island, and uh you know the they'll you know he'll he'll comment on like well that's a really big you know. Uh, shrunken head that's just a big shrunken head that shrunken head isn't very big at all and it's like it's not even really a joke it's it's just like funny so to imagine someone talking to themselves it's a shrunken head the size of two shrunken heads <laughs> but but so so on um something else that occurred to me about this game is that it really feels to me like it captures the fantasy wizard aesthetic very well and mm-hmm. part of it is that majesty of like being able to do big things. Mm. But it occurred to me that there's something very tied to the gameplay mechanics, which is essentially that it doesn't have any really, right? Like there's no need to balance. There's no need for being like, well, we can't give them this spell. We'll have to take it away again because then they'll use it all the time mm. or, or, or mm-hmm. something like, you know, it, it it's because it's, it's essentially puzzles, but it's puzzles that are you casting one spell that causes some huge change in in the world or a small change. It, it feels like your power is 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 vast, right? So like when when late in the game you're captured, and the villain is like, "Oh, you have to be careful with weavers. They have incredible powers. Um, why don't you show us?" Uh, you know, and Cobb 
the henchman is like, there's no way that he can escape from that cage. And all you do is cast the open spell and like the cage, you know, like uh, falls apart <laughs> and you step out. And, and it's like, oh, wow. Like you realize like, wow, actually I am extremely powerful. I'm just also like kind of naive and stupid. And so don't like, right. you know, like he has no drive. He has no, he's not going around fighting people, but he is going around like casting these incredible spells. And so, yeah, it has that, it has like a wizardliness that I, I think something like Dragon Age, for instance, couldn't ever have because, like, you can't be, you know, a sort like a, a world shaping sorcerer because then the game wouldn't be any challenge. But because of the puzzle mechanic, the challenge is in your head. It's it's in figuring out how to use these powers, not in having the powers or in leveling up them or in getting. Well, I've got level well, four, and, on, right. you know, open now. And and I think to your to your point. Um, Part of the the feeling of progression, right? Instead of getting le- like levels or whatever, and I'm not even going to get into like you you start with three basic notes at the beginning of the game, and slowly your distaff is able to to tune in and and basically uh, you know use all the notes that are available to it. I'm just talking about like as you progress through the game, as you move through different areas, you start learning different spells that belong to different guilds. Mm-hmm. just by observing them right right, right. yeah Th- that's them. a fascinating way of doing it i think like i also like that it is the same kind of like true expansive uh thing where you could guess the spell like mm-hmm. you if you if you put in the right notes you can get the spell like unlike some games where you have to like kind of unlock the moment it technically doesn't actually let you oh um, it says it does oh i don't i'm just think not very it, smart i didn't try so i assume i it don't was right. think it does so so i um i I uh I was playing in like a browser based emulator because I mm. didn't want to play the one with voice acting because I found out that they had to cut a couple of lines to make the voice uh files fit on on one CD and I was like well fuck that I don't want to miss some of the important story of Loom <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> which was, that I was played so like a hundred times smart uh, well, very smart well, we we got a real Loom purist over here I, Jeez. I mean this was this, this, I, Loom might have been the first game that I ever beat it's either Loom or River City Ransom was was the, definitely the first game that I actually like be, you know reached the end of both um, both have uh, extremely important uh, barf mechanics which is kind of <laughs> and and everyone uh if you do manage to kill somebody in loom they also turn into a bouncing coin that you can and, and trade in for javelin man um but uh i totally forgot what the fuck i was saying sorry <laughs> I it was one of the first things you, you were saying well you you start you started wor- uh playing it on an emulator because of the voice oh, 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 uh, yes files. yes and uh as web-based emulators often do it crashed and so i had to reload um and one of the things about loom is that there's a couple spells that are always the same but a lot of them are lightly randomized mm. or or at least like a bunch of different ones that they can be um and I knew from having played this game like a hundred times that it generates the spells like at the start. So like, you know, it's, it's not, it's in one playthrough. It's like, you're always going to discover that spell. Like, like if you, if you save and reload, it's not going to be different. So I was like, Oh, well I'll just cast it. And, uh, I think it was when you have to turn yourself invisible to sneak past some people. And I hadn't heard the invisibility yet. Um, so I cast it. And he goes, hmm, almost, but not quite right. I was like, oh, you fucker. 
bobbin threadbare, you motherfucker. Now I have to waste five minutes of my time walking all the way back over to the glass workers and hear it again. Oh, that sucks. That's that's a shame. No, no, it's it's the shepherds, Kurt. It's the shepherds who come and bully you. Oh no, 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 no. But you but you get the spell by seeing yourself use it in the future at the in the guild of glass workers. Oh, oh, oh no, you're t- okay. So you're talking about the uh, the terror spell. Uh, oh cause, yes, cause yes. The, I'm sorry. You're invisi- right. Yes, yeah. you're right. The you invisibility correct, spell Carlo. is the. You are yeah. No, no. no I, I'm, I'm just, you know, just uh, keeping the lore straight. Sorry. The guild of <laughs> podcasters strikes again. The lore. Yes, we must keep the lore. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's. It, that said, I, I mean, it, it's. You still get these little fr- frisons of discovery, even if, even if that's not one of them. But for instance, um, there are multiple ways to solve a lot of the puzzles and granted the puzzles are all solved in one step for like but by and large uh, but for instance when um there's a part where you confront a dragon who is sitting atop of her hoard of gold coins and you you turn the gold coins into straw um and she kind of gets mad at you but then there's multiple ways that that you can you can cause them to to catch on fire um, there's like three different spells that you can use. And so it, even though that really just makes the puzzle incredibly easy, cause right. Cause like you, you only know, you know, six spells at that point in the game. So it's gotta be one of them and three of them will work, but you feel so clever when you're like, Oh, I did it. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. There, there's something about the presentation where it feels, it feels just difficult enough that you still feel pleased when you get it. It's like it's like Sudoku, like easy Sudoku level difficulty. Where you're like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, go me. It's. I feel like I feel like some of it too, like with the addition of the notes and sort of like the 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 base sort of like technical elements. Like, there's a few things in here which is like medium or even like hard level Sudoku, where it's still not that hard, but like mm-hmm. you're you, you feel like you're clever. Yeah, there, there's there's a sense of like, haha, I'm I'm the smart one. Mm-hmm. Um, where like you know like the terror spell you mentioned is like the one that's a one of the ones that's a palindrome. So like you know the open and close spell open is one way, close is the other, right? Uh, but you can't reverse terror to make like peace, right? Yeah. Um, and like once you realize that, it's like oh that's clever. <laughs> that's that's fun. You, you you reverse terror to comfy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I thought I was I was done with cozy ass spells. No. <laughs> I want to be a giant wizard. One of the things that, that um, I've been thinking about, and, and and I don't think either one of you are wrong in in that they evoke both uh, sort of like a Zelazny or Moorcock type of uh, you know fantasy type of thing. But one of the things that struck me is like this feels a lot like it could have it could be like a different area of the world that took place in Willow. <laughs> Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, 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 definitely. There's something, yeah, there's something weird about, there's something, there's some particular style to the fantasy that feels like it, it, it somehow is weird enough to not feel like anything else. Like, I, I can't quite think of anything else that, that reminds me of Loom exactly. It's got, there's something about the way that it evokes, like, a weird timelessness it's it's both in the future and in the past. It's like you know you're you're told that it's like the year eight thousand or whatever, and it's like, well, is mm-hmm. that our eight thousand? Is that their eight thousands? Like what? Like mm-hmm. what does that mean? Completely it, unclear. Yeah, yeah. There's just nothing to quite grab onto, 
And so it it just doesn't really but but like you're saying, Carla, like Willow is kind of the same way, where it's like it's not concerned with being like, oh, we need like a functioning fantasy world. It's it's like fantasy Star Wars. So it's like, well, it just works. And over that mountain, there's presumably, you know, other adventures. And Lynn yeah, has a real feeling of like there's feels like there's other adventures, even though the game yeah. is very short. Well, and and it, it it also feels very much like in Willow, where you know the magic works when it needs to move right. things along. <laughs> that that's that's right. basically, or or sometimes you know, as in you know, like like when he's trying to use the wand over and over again, he's like Willow, you idiot, you know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Then the magic becomes an obstacle because you need to sort of ramp up the the stress of you know, you've got to dramatize it a little bit. Mm-hmm before the final battle because you, you you need to convey to the audience that that the the magic you know maybe maybe willow doesn't really know magic that much i don't know mm-hmm. you could fuck it up at the end um can can we talk real quick speaking of weird lore uh it, it's one of the cleverer things in the story that i was like chuckling over is the um when he meets when Bobbin Threadbare meets uh, Master Goodmold. Uh, he he, uh, Goodmold basically says, "Oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'd, I'd ask you to take off your hood, but I hear that it's death to 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 to, to you know appear uh, beneath the hood of a weaver and so on and so forth." And it's sort of dropped. It's never mentioned again until Cobb shows up. He's like, "Well, you know, uh, uh, you could see my visage. Let me see yours now." And I wouldn't try that if I were you. And when when Cobb actually un un you know unhoods him or whatever it just like it just like vaporizes him <laughs> it's amazing i love it again yeah. like one of these things where it's like uh, wait i i don't remember this magic and then you're like oh yeah that's right yeah it's got it's got like fairy tale logic to it where it's like somebody said it's like don't do the thing bobbin <laughs> don't you know and you're like and, and I, I love how um uh, I love how, like, clearly Bobbin knows about this because he tells people, like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Um, but when he's asked about it by Master Goodmold, uh, he, he was like, you know, is it true that if you look under the hood of a weaver that, that you'll die? And I, I think Bobbin goes like, I don't know. Nobody's ever tried. And uh, <laughs> Master Goodmold even observes like that's a perfectly evasive answer. Like he's like he didn't <laughs> he didn't say anything yes or no. And and yeah, it gives him this slight air of again, it's like wizardly mystery. It's like well, what is well? There's this rule. Do you dare to break the rule? And there's a lot of that stuff in this. It just yeah, it just has this weird timeless fairy tale logic quality to it that uh, I, I think just works really well and it's it's also different from the fairy tale logic of king's quest which is yes. also very literal fairy tale logic so. don't, don't don't meddle in the affairs of weavers yeah yeah for you are yeah you are tasty with uh with the the terror spell um yeah it's no it's it's like it's 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 a cool it's a it's a good observation because like this is you know it has a kind of fantasy logic and i feel like it has a kind of fantasy logic it almost like it reminds me very much of a British kind of sense of fantasy, like the <laughs> things you'd see in like um, 2000 AD when it wasn't sci-fi, um, yeah. where you'd be like, oh, this is this is odd. Like this, this is just a little off. It has a little more humor than I'm used to. It's it's sort of a strange approach to fantasy that I don't recognize, whereas King's Quest is a much more American kind of uh, fantasy vibe. Um, 
And I mean, that's, that's, you know, not even all that, you know, uh, cut and dry. Cause of course, Tolkien in, informs everything and he's mm-hmm. of course British, but like, you know, the, the, that, that distinctness of Lou while still being of the same genre is really fun. Uh, especially when you think about sort of the ways in which genre can tend to stagnate uh, in, in, a, in our current market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, it, it starts at the beginning because even like the, the, the three elders that are, are there to like, uh, like, uh, you know, chastise, uh, Bob and Threadbare, uh, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, Atropos, Lachesis, and, and, uh, Clothos. what's the other one? Clothos. Yeah. Sorry. The, the, the Grecian muses are, uh, yeah. not, not the, the, the fates, the fates, excuse me. The fates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Measuring and cutting and, you know, so on threads. Ha ha. Well, they're See? the ones who got motherfucking cut. By a goose, uh, I mean a swan. <laughs> well, it's, it's, the, it's the untitled swan game now. Uh, no. the, that's the actual sequel. How long are you waiting for that one? I uh, wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it was just an egg a moment ago, and now it hatched. Because I cast the open spell. I cast on the it. swan spell on you. <laughs> Transcendence. But yeah, I. Uh, I love this game. I love everything about it. I love. I love the music, which is basically just like different Tchaikovsky pieces, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I love the setting. I love the art. The art really is beautiful. The, um, the, uh, in the talk that Moriarty gave, he, he talked about how like um, they, they hired uh, a colorist to do like the backgrounds who had never worked with computers before. He'd only ever done oh, wow. like colored pencil illustrations um and so whereas a lot of the artists approached um like video game graphics in a very like kind of like working within the constraints of an ms paint type tool it wasn't actually ms paint since ms paint didn't exist uh yet but it was you know like that type of tool where everything is like straight lines and like solid color fills um, because they had this very classical illustrator, he immediately was like, oh, well, I've got 16 colors. I know how to blend colors. And he started doing what's called uh, dithering, where he would he would alternate, you know, w- within a small number of colors and kind of bl- shade pixel by pixel one into the other to give the impression of a greater depth of color than was actually there. And it caused it caused technical problems because um, – the Lucasfilm developers had come up with a compression algorithm to compress the art in their games, but it assumed large blocks of solid color. And there's almost no large blocks of solid color in Loom because it's 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 done in this this very different style of of coloring. And so they actually had to stop and um like re like figure out a different way of doing graphical compression to make it fit on a disc because it like the way that they had been doing it just didn't work but as a result it has a very different look that you know is is now like that style of pixel art is is very very common and it's like one of the main techniques that makes pixel art look so cool like th- this was w- one of if not the first game to really use that um widely and so it was widely it just looked different than any other game out there and it's it really different, yeah difference. It, it looks cool even like the the you know if you look if you look up loom you know one of the things you will see uh that one of the images you'll see is like the 
um, you know, I am sent by the elders to summon you with like the little like uh, blue. I'm looking at it right now because it's just like, like the little sprite thing. Yeah, and then next to it is the the guy in the hood. It's basically it's Bobbin, um, and his two blue eyes, and then the the darkness under the cowl. And it's just like it's so interesting. It's like you know, way different than anything you've seen in another game. Like it has, of course, elements of game uh, art, but on the other hand, it it looks fanciful and like almost alien and weird. It, it feels quite unique. Mm-hmm. It's, it's even, um, uh, so the other reason that I played the original version and not the, uh, not like the, I forget what, like the, the more color remaster is, um, there's actually, there's like difference in color decisions, um, because of the limited palette. So in the very first, image that you see in the game is bobbing atop the cliff with like like a dead tree with one mm-hmm. leaf on it and in the original game everything else in the entire picture is one of the shades of blue that was available the only thing that isn't blue is the leaf that's Whereas cool. in in the remaster they made like the horizon like it's it's a it's a prettier picture but from like a design standpoint it's less impactful because there's there's other red things because they have more to work with yeah um so yeah it's just like it's a very interesting it's a very interesting combination of like people figuring out new ways to work within constraints while also like finding ways that those constraints like work better for the end product. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I believe in that same um, uh, lecture, Moriarty uh, mentions that the FM Towns version does in fact do exactly that, where the it looks like um, you know, just after sunset, right? Mm-hmm. So there's yep. that little stripe right near the horizon where the the sky is like you know red and and orange and yellow and whatnot and so then the 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 last leaf of autumn on the tree that he's sort of like lounging or, or dozing underneath um is is lost in that mm-hmm. in that uh color uh whereas like like you said beforehand um that that one leaf you know just jumps out at you yeah well, it also uh, speaks to like there's like the the classic sort of modernist, um, and in this case, I mean like literary modernist uh, move of working within constraints, like the idea mm-hmm. of constraints being something that produces good art, and and that's something that mm-hmm. video games are are typically quite bad at uh, because <laughs> because everyone looks at the constraints and because they're all like tech people, they're like, well, what if we, oh, uh, you know, we're able to get past the constraints? Um, <laughs> what if, what, what if, if we require what if we everyone in- to buy a new computer to play this game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what if we infinitize the, the the dongle and that that'll that'll get us more, you know, whatever. Don't give away your uh, ideas, Carlo. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I think like you know, it's it's. Um, like you see it in certain games, like Baba is you is a good example of this, or, I mean, there's others I can think of if I, if I took the time, but like this kind of technical limitation, like where everything's a shade of blue, except the leaf, this is something that is typically not understood in, in remakes as like an artistic choice. It's like, Oh, I'm, I only can have these colors. I think I can, you know, use that limitation to express something about mm-hmm. limits and about like, you know, individuality and, and, you know, uniqueness and stuff like that. And I, I, I admire Loom for and and the artists behind Loom for trying to you know use the limits to their 
artistic advantage to kind of like play with well, them and enjoy them. And it's something you don't I, necessarily see a lot of in gaming. I would, I would also say that it, I think it's, it's a great intersection of exactly like an artistic decision plus a way to provide focus right, mm. for the player. And if you, if you're, if that's the only little bit of red that you, you see, you, you suddenly like you, your, your mouse is almost attracted to like, well, let me click on it and see what happens. Yep. And it, it, it's not like game, you know, it's not like a, uh, a game changing thing that happens is just the leaf falls mm. and you get the, you get Bob and saying, well, it's the last leaf of autumn. But don't you feel bad? Don't you feel bad for having done that? When you do that, yes, it's just a little sort of. teeny tiny bit of melancholy. Like, yeah, just, I felt like, bad. Just a well, little I, tiny I little think, bit. I think it's it's also like thematic, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's the like by the end of the game, you realize that that in in and of itself, like the the symbolism of it turning to winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, symbolizes like the end of an era, right? The the end of the era of the great guilds. That's it. Uh, and and but but even like before all of that, it's just simply also teaching you how to play the game too, right? Mm. You click on stuff, you click on stuff that look interest that looks interesting, and you hopefully you trust that the team who's designed this has made things look interesting enough that. You know, the, the stuff that you want to interact with uh, or are invited to to try to experiment with will look as interesting as this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, l- like like the like the goblet, right, Kurt? Where <laughs> like immediately I was like, well, can you knock it off? Can you do something to it? And it's like, no, it's simply you, you could you could fill it up. Instead oh, no, of, you, can. Of, like, the empty you can. Stuff. You oh, can yeah? do something. You can use the empty draft in reverse. And it, mm-hmm. fills it fills the goblet up. up, and then your conversation with um, the the glass blower is a little bit different. Mm, That's, okay, it serves no real purpose. It's just like a thing that that you can do. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, yeah. Like it's 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 an invitation to play again. You know, it's just simply uh, taken to a different level and and much more sort of organic within the game itself where it blends together the art and the gameplay itself. Right. right? Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I I, 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 I agree, Kurt. Like also one of the things that, that uh, I think you and I had spoken about uh, beforehand, before we recorded um, was, was just the plain fact that this is exactly the type of game. It, it took me right back to like being sit, sitting around in, in computer club or whatever. And, you're basically goofing off and playing Zork or something, but you're doing it as a group effort and everyone's sort of chipping in, but you're stuck, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you'll be stuck unless you have a friend who, you know, unless your friend is there with the Invisic Clues booklet, you'll, you'll be stuck there for, for several hours, perhaps days, who knows? Right. Did, did you know, you're asking it, did Robbie show up today? Fuck. Oh God. God I, I had a friend, uh, John, that, um, I would go over to his house all the time and we'd play video games at his house. And he'd come over to my house and play video games at my house. And um, I remember he loved the, uh, the, the Dr. Brain puzzle games. Um, there okay. was two of them, the Island of Dr. Brain and the Castle of Dr. Brain. And they were kind of, they, they, they were for kids, but they were for like very precocious kids. <laughs> it was, <laughs> and they were just ludicrously difficult puzzle 
like educational puzzle games. Um, at least they were ludicrously difficult when you were like 11 or 12. Um, and, it, and it was very much that. Like I remember years later, I downloaded them and I was like, damn, I wish John were here. It'd be a lot easier because he knew how to solve these fucking puzzles. <laughs> 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 these fucking puzzles this game's full of them uh but yeah like like i it is it is odd right because it, this is a time where the precursors to the internet are are around but no one's connected in the way that we are now mm-hmm. so you can't just like google how do i you know how do i beat loom or whatever you know you, you just sort of like have to tough it out well, there were mm-hmm. there were always ways of doing it, like, but you'd have to also kind of cast your question to the universe in a, in a way, like, you could call the Nintendo tip line, um, mm. which I did. There was and that there sucked. was a LucasArts tip line. Sure, there was. Well. Yeah, that oh, makes sense. Interesting. Why would they miss out on that one nine hundred revenue? Yeah, <laughs> and then like you know you could go to news groups or whatever, but there was never really, it was never a guarantee that you'd get mm-hmm. the answer. Like I remember playing an NES game where I called the Nintendo power hotline and I was like, how do I, like, where is this thing? I, I, I don't know where it is. And they were like, you just have to keep hitting a, and like, <laughs> I, I, it was like on one, you know, one pixel of the map. If you hit a, you got the, the item that was able to, and like, it wasn't like you ran into it. You had to keep hitting a, and it's like, that's a terrible answer. And like, if you, if you Googled it now, you'd have a map and you'd be able to see where it was. And you'd be able to hit a, but like, it is like, it, it was the limits. Like there were limits to the amount of information you could have. And so like that kind of like running up against a brick wall again and again, just cause you aren't getting the information mm-hmm. you need is something that is very, very unique to these games. There's also, there's also the possibility of missing things and just never knowing until, you know, years later when you're on a podcast talking about it, that you miss things, <laughs> you know, like, which, which I, I, I remember I had an argument with a good friend, um, whenever it was that the Elden Ring came out, I guess it was, was it, was that last year? I guess it was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Last um, year. and, uh, there was the thing where, uh, people, People thought that there were like more hidden doors than they were. So people were like going around, like, you know, mashing their heads against every single wall in every single dungeon in the game. And, and, and there was one where like it looked like it should have been a secret door or something. Or I, I don't remember what it was, but I, I remember I remember that people were mad because um, they, they might miss one secret door that led to like a useless chest. I remember, I think, I think I know what you're talking about. I think it was when there was the one that you had to, it was like, and I I even think it was like a glitch that they then patched or something where you had to hit it like 600 times (laughs) in order for it. Yes. Oh, right, right, right. I I remember this. This is gatekeeping. It's like garbage. People were mad that they might miss a secret. And they're like, well, it's not, it's not fair that I could miss the secret. It's like, to me, it's like, it's a secret. Like, the the point is that it's a secret. The point is that you have secret knowledge of the game about the secret knowledge wizard, you know, and like you might there there could still be more secrets there. To me, that's a thing of beauty and a thing of mystery. And like, I don't want to fully know a game necessarily. Like, I I like the possibility that there is you know a whole other aspect to it, or even like a little thing that you know, I don't know is there. It makes, it makes the, 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 the fact that I, that, you know, 
Loom doesn't tell me I've completed 72% of Loom and I've unlocked the, <laughs> you know, threadful or whatever, you know, uh, achievement uh, m- makes it makes a short game that takes, you know, maybe an hour if you know the answers uh, makes it feel impossibly expansive in, in a way that a game that's eight times larger but holds your hand more n- never will. Yeah, but but Kurt, my treats, my treats. <laughs> I want my fucking my treats. treats. But it is yes. like I think I think that is a treat though to have like ultimately the only treat in a video game is like uh, a deepening mm-hmm. of the of the the experience, like a, mm-hmm. a kind mm-hmm. of like you know individual sort of experience there, and like that is the thing where people are like, I need to get in this room so I can hundred percent this game where it's like, <laughs> I don't even think you're asking yourself why you want a hundred percent a game. Like I've talked to people who have really good reasons for hundred percent games. It totally makes sense to me. If it's, I need to see all of it. Cause I need to see all of it. Then like you have completely, you know, <laughs> lost the plot. And I think, you know, well, something like loom, if you're hundred percenting it, you're, you're trying to get like, all of the all of the little like details you're trying to like luxuriate in it or something like that um making it a job is 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 the exact opposite of what these LucasArts games kind of want you to do well i i i I may want to revisit something that i told you way 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 back trev that is uh, one of the things that i i still think about often and granted, this is, you know, based off of like role playing games more than anything else is that, you know, a, a game needs to have basically a, a narrative with a hole in it. And, and, you know, part of that hole is that the, the player fills it. Right. But at the same time, like something like Loom, uh, to a certain degree, the, the charm of it, even after I've played it is imagining what the sequels might have been. Mm. Right. What's Rather over the mountain than, in that picture? Mm-hmm. Not even a 3D mountain. It's just a picture of a mountain. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, 800 pixels in a grid and they're all blue, but that is as evocative as, you know, uh, a, a tw- 12 million voxel or whatever the hell, you know, m- model. No, <laughs> no, Kurt, I, I need to clip my way through the mountain to get over it and find out what's on the other side. I need my treats. Now, listen, we, we all enjoy jumping up a mountain in any given Elder Scrolls game, finding the exact <laughs> slope that we can get over a mountain. Uh, it is the, the, the exact confluence that, of uh, of polygons that uh, that will let you. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's 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 the it's the secret mini game in all of those. It's like how how high can my horse and I climb before we fall to our doom? How how many how many of the designers of uh, Breath of the Wild uh, played that and said, you know what? We're just going to make him climb. <laughs> <laughs> Let's simplify things a little. <laughs> it's part of the part of the gameplay. He now climbs. well you know i have my final thought on loom which is i think that uh we should have a two-year um hiatus from people having more than 16 colors um we get after two years everyone can get all their graphics back but but it's it's back to ega for uh or sorry back to vga rather Mm -hmm. not even super vga just regular vga none of this turbo Turbo bullshit. Just, just you, you get sixteen, and that's it. This is going to be really it. exciting for everyone. Like they're going to have to find new computers. We're going to need some three eighty sixes. 
Some 486s in the house. Wow. Ooh, a Pentium. Oh, baby, it's got a Pentium. That's right. Trevor, <laughs> you're, you're, you're bringing me back to playing Pirates. Yeah? The original Pirates. Sid Meier. <laughs> pirates, exclamation point. <laughs> pirates. Pirates. <laughs> Oh God, yeah, that that was some VGA bullshit. But uh, God, what a fucking great game! Anyway, th- <laughs> this is not the Pirates game. This is Loom. <laughs> we we might uh, we might bring you back f- to talk about Sid Meier. And I, I mean, what? yeah, happy happy to come back to talk Sid Meier. I yeah, I love I love thinking about these older games because they really are. You know, there's this there's this. Um, I don't know, and and I don't I don't mean to disparage anyone who's who's like into this because there's a lot of people who are into retro stuff. Uh, retro gaming particular that really just like find it quite fascinating and have interesting things to say about it or, or just love it. And and that's all, like, that's all well and good. That's like, you know, enough. Um, I think what's, what's interesting though, is like, you know, within retro gaming, we get a lot about, we get a lot about monkey Island. We get a lot about, um, you know, mega man games or like old Nintendo games, old Zelda games, whatever. Um, but there's like, there's always these games that are out there that just like, existed within the time frame and you know regardless of genre it, it could be an adventure game it could be like a, a top-down shooter like a shmup or, or, or whatever we're just kind of like trying to push the bounds of the hardware when the hardware was not nearly as fluid as it currently is now mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. i think these are just like really really good examples of what the form can do if you're trying to like kind of like stretch it mm-hmm. um and i i'm glad that we can think about games like loom uh mainly because like it is it, it's sort of trying to go beyond what its current what is what its contemporary sort of limits were and as a result it always has that sense of like trying to push beyond no matter how far the limits go like you you never lose the sense of it being you know almost almost like excessive in in a very good way mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah i think that's a really i think that's really well observed like like it's there's something about it where you can feel an art form being advanced, even if that art form has advanced well past that in technical capabilities. Yeah, there's something about it that still feels or like another game like that would be something like um, like uh, like out of this world, for, for instance. Yes, yeah, that's is, a great you example. Know, this this weird side scroller developed by one Frenchman who who did all the art. And it's it's this bizarre vector art graphics that, that looks like nothing else. Such oh, a weird shit. game. Kurt, you, you, oh my God. Whoops. I knocked over my microphone. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm Ball. getting kicked out of the Guild of Podcasters. I, I knew I should have, uh, I should have taken away your microphone because. <laughs> Sorry, you, what were you, you saying? You, you might, you might, you might get too powerful. Um, no, I, I was just, I, I, I simply just simply had completely forgotten about out of this world. What an amazing game. Very good game. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Uh, anyway, my 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 last thought is that um, Loom is weirdly follows in the same sort of uh, overarching logic that a lot of the LucasArts adventure games had, where you need to sort of get into the mindset of the the logic of the game, yeah, or of the character. Uh, I, I think. We 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 would talked about this before, but like you know, like the the full throttle and, and Maniac Mansion and Day of the Tentacle all have like this very uh, 
comedy-based logic to them. And this is much more sort of whimsical and, and like you said, Kurt, uh, sort of fairy tale logic, right? It just Mm -hmm. – and and it just feels cool to sort of slowly lower yourself into the into that particular pool of water to get into that mindset again, you know, and be mm. like, oh yeah, this is what it felt like. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It's just great. I, I I love it. I I I love all the text based adventures as well, even though there's a lot of them that I couldn't I couldn't finish. <laughs> You don't have to finish them. It's just it's a, it's about experiencing. Ah, there you go. At least that's what I tell uh, myself. You know. Well, I mean, it, it's funny. Um, I think uh, this is one of the things that uh, that is also comes up in the in in the speech is that um, when uh, Brian Moriarty talked to one of his uh, colleagues back at Infocom uh, about a survey, uh, basically. Uh, Favorite games versus games that you've completed. Um, <laughs> there was a, a big dissonance started showing up. <laughs> oh, that's great! That's really funny. And, and and I think that that was a driving uh, vision for him regarding Loom, where he you know he wanted to make a game that you could finish, mm-hmm. and you didn't you know you couldn't get stuck, you couldn't die you know arbitrarily. And I think that you know like. Uh, I do believe that that is something that has sort of influenced a lot of gameplay now, right? Where it's it's about keeping you sort of engaged and uh, you know within the game, uh, so that like for instance, even something more recent like uh, what is it, Limbo, where uh, you know, even if you do die often horribly, um, you 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 immediately start a couple of steps away from where you died, mm. you know, wherever, wherever the puzzle was. Uh, and, and it's just something that, that, that's really interesting to, to think about because he sort of, sort of did it right. He yeah. sort of influenced forward. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's definitely a really important step. Anyway, uh, we've, do we have we've now taken more time than it takes to finish Loom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Loom is pretty short. Oh, Limbo? it's pretty short. Or Loom? Loom. Uh, well, I, actually, I, I don't know that I've ever finished Limbo. I can't. I can't Ooh. remember if I've ever finished Limbo either. But Loom is <laughs> Loom is Loom is like disarmingly short. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. imagining a, a, a Loom speed run. How would you sequence break Loom? <laughs> Could you imagine like the 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 gamers just getting like fucking first walk faster walk fucking faster <laughs> god damn it <laughs> No I don't care about your stupid whimsy <laughs> There's no there's no dialogue skip button either <laughs> It's true it's it true. just sits there <laughs> Well you know they they paid those voice actors uh pretty penny I'm sure <laughs> Oh even even when it's only text there's no dialogue skip button they wow. sit there while That's they do their little talk animation that's impressive, honestly. That's uh, I mean, you could only get it so fast. Then it it, it, it yeah. sort of becomes like the uh, it becomes the same kind of problem as in like uh, uh, God, the the N sixty four Legend of Zelda game where it's like, I can't, we can't make it any faster. But how can we make it faster? <laughs> well, like- <laughs> I do know one way that you could make it faster, uh, which is to 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 get the old DOS version of Loom. And then play it on uh, on a modern computer, 
because I believe that Loom is old enough that uh, it, it it was locked to the clock speed of the processor. And nice. So if you had okay. a faster processor, it would it, it, it would go goes faster. faster. Yes. Yeah. That was that was always so funny when like when games when games would just like go so much faster than you needed them to. <laughs> because your process is like, okay, I can't play this game right now. I have to do something to lower the speed somehow. Benny Hill loom. Just <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's a draft I could get behind. <laughs> Yakety sax. You got to play it on your distaff. Oh, all right. That's funny. Well, in any case, uh, Trevor, thanks again. Oh, thanks for, for having me. By. It's always a blast. Always, yeah, always love great. coming on Podside. All right. Well, and everyone out there, thanks again. We'll catch you next time here on Podside.